Hello, this is Father Kelly Edwards once again with Day 7, but only Day 7, Part 1 this time. You see, we did something very fantastic this morning, and I'm recording this even before noon on the first day, on the first day in this place, uh, so that, because this deserves its own thing. So we arrived last night in Jerusalem, uh, at, and we stayed to our first night here at the uh, Notre Dame, which is the pontifical guest house, you might say, here in Jerusalem. Uh, very nice place, not in the usual hotel sense necessarily. The rooms are kind of simple, but it uh, it very feels feels very much like a seminary. Big castle building anyways. We didn't get to spend much time in it before going out again. So we arrived yesterday in the evening, had dinner, and then I crashed at 8.18 p.m. local time. I closed my eyes because the wake-up call was coming not at 7 a.m., not at 6 a.m., not at 5 a.m., but at 3 a.m. So at 3 o'clock this morning, the hotel room phone rings in a very annoying way. Fortunately, I was already awake, been awake since 2.45. And the reason I was awake at 2.45 easily is because this morning we went to the Holy Sepulchre for Mass. And we got there, we got up so early because we wanted to be there in a way to pray. During the day, it's jammed with people, uh, but this morning, we wanted to be able to actually pray in a silent, reverent place. If you've ever been to St. Peter's Basilica or any number of other religious sites, there are, of course, pilgrims there to see it for holy purposes, but many of the people are there let's be honest, to gawk and take pictures and make noise. And so if you go anytime during the day, there's going to be mobs of people being irreverent, um, and it will not be a place to uh, reverently approach these most holy places of Christendom. Sidebar, if you are ever, if you are ever visiting St. Peter's or the Holy Land or any place like that, do not be an annoying pilgrim, please. Be quiet, be reverent, take one or two pictures, but not 5,000, um, and be serious about where you are and what's going on. Anyways, so we began this morning, Call it th- wake up, call it 3 a.m., out in the lobby at 3.30 for a little bit of coffee and stuff, or that was available at 3.30, I wasn't there at 3.45, uh, got some coffee and stuff, got on the bus at 4 a.m., drove not very far, and got outside, got off the bus outside one of the gates of the city of Jerusalem, one of the old gates in the city. We began there, uh, walked a little bit through the winding kind of market-style streets. Um, if anyone's ever been to the market in sort of not America or England, uh, you're probably familiar with these winding, narrow market streets with stalls at the, this time of the morning boarded up, but you can tell during the day, uh, lots of chaos will be happening. You know, Above the, the shops, there's who knows what of apartments and old buildings, new buildings, all jamming together in these, in these stone streets. So we began with the first station. We were doing the Station of the Cross to be ending at the Holy Sepulchre. So we start there in the streets. Of course, it's quiet. It's empty. There was a few a few people passing by, um, obviously on the way to very early morning work. But for the most part, we had streets of Jerusalem to ourselves to pray the Via Dolorosa, 
the the way of the cross, the way that uh, Christ carried his cross from the Antonia Palace where uh, Pontius Pilate was living, where he tried Jesus, uh, starting where that was. It's not there anymore. And now it's just streets and buildings uh, that aren't that. But we began in that approximate place with the first station. Jesus is condemned to death. Proceeded through the various stations, through these streets. Uh, there are various chapels and churches, of course, that mark some of these locations, You know where Veronica wipes the face of Jesus, for example. Eventually we arrive at the, I guess you'd call it the side door of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, for those unfamiliar, it is not, the Holy Sepulchre itself is a rather confusing jumble of buildings. Uh, it's, you know, if you go to St. Peter's in Rome, there's clearly one front facade, one main obvious entrance, and the church, you know, functions in a very linear way. It all works together. Not so for the Holy Sepulchre. It is a mishmash of many different buildings, of many different eras, archaeology on top of archaeology on top of archaeology. Uh, it's fascinating, but it's 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 a mess. Um, so we come in a side door off of a courtyard, but in the courtyard, courtyard you can see on the walls surrounding it various arches that have been bricked in, sort of little windows that don't exist anymore, and obviously... Clearly, this has been many things over the centuries. So it doesn't have um, the grand sort of entrance, again, like St. Peter's, like you would expect for such a holy place. Uh, but it is a result of its own time, well, of its times, many times that it's been through. So we go in this sort of unassuming side door, um, go up and to the right up a set of stairs, and lo, suddenly there we are in front of the Rock of Calvary. So, of course, it's been over the centuries. Most of the hillside was was taken away, and then a church was built, and then other churches were built, and those were torn down, and then other churches were built on top of that. As it is now, you go up these stairs, and you find yourself level, more or less, with the top of the Rock of Calvary, where the cross was put into the rock, and Jesus would have been with the robbers up there. Uh, there are uh, very ornate chapels built over it, um, all of those sorts of things like you would expect. Uh, the particular place, the top of the rock, is in a Byzantine chapel. So lots of lamps and candles and statues and gold and silver. Um, incredibly ornate, incredibly detailed. But it's it's open for anybody to go in there. And so you go in under the altar. Literally, you, you crouch down under the altar and there's a, uh, a brass uh, sun disc. And then you can put your hand in through there, rather far down actually, uh, and touch the rock, the rock of Golgotha, where Christ Christ's cross was placed. And on the side, you can see more of the rock through kind of a glass enclosure around it. Uh, so that was a very um, touching, literally, uh, place to pray. And uh, I made specifically a prayer for uh, all of those whose confessions I have heard or will hear in the future uh, for the mercy of God that was won for them on the cross in this place. So we move on downstairs. Um, you know, it, it, it seems so strange to pass so quickly over the Rock of Golgotha, but as I've said before, that's how pilgrimages are. Sometimes you just have to go uh, to that place, say the prayers you intend to say, and move on. It would take days and days, years and years to really appreciate it, and you just you can't do that. So do your best, the Lord understands, and you move on. Next, we went down to the 
uh, well, we kind of went around the church. Um, again, it's it's uh, kind of a mess of things. Um, there's a central area that's owned by the Greeks. There's a back area that's owned by the Armenians, St. Helen's Chapel, where St. Helen, the mother of Constantine, found the true cross, uh, the true cross, and many, you know, the, the, the chains, the nails, the everything they used for that um, because it was they were all unclean things that had to be hidden away before the Passover began. So they were all thrown in a cistern, literally just in a cave, basically. Uh, they were found later. There's a church back there. It's kind of down down the hill, it seems, um, but again, under one roof, um, not helping things that there's scaffolding renovation happening. So it's really kind of unclear what building you're in and what's underground or what's separate buildings of different centuries. It's, 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 honestly, I'm amazed the whole thing is standing. It looks like it could fall over in the sense that it's not that it's not dense and heavy and solid, but the fact that it's, you know, who knows what's piled on top of what, and you know, you hope all those stones don't slip apart. Anyway, St. Helens Chapel, we keep moving around. But eventually we come around to uh, the central point, the central focus of this whole building, the Holy Sepulchre itself, the place, the tomb where Jesus was laid after the after he came down from the cross, after he was taken down from the cross, but more importantly, the place from which he was resurrected. And as we're walking over there, Father Joe Irwin leans over to me and says, Do you want to take the mass today? Do you want to be the main celebrant? Uh, of course, yes. I didn't know he was going to ask me that, um, but very graciously. He, I mean, he'd been there before, uh, so he let me have that, even though I wouldn't have been offended in the absolute slightest if he would have taken the mass since he is the, the chaplain of the pilgrimage. Uh, but I was very grateful that he um, gave me that opportunity. So we go uh, have a brief look kind of around the Holy Sepulchre area. For those not familiar, it's there's a, what's called the Edicule, which is this little chapel built over the top of the tomb. Um, and it's kind of a, maybe 15 feet wide and 30 feet long, this little little box with a little dome on top of it. And in there, uh, well, I'll say more about it when, we get, when I get to talking about Mass. Go in the sacristy, get ready for Mass. The the docent, the MC, who's a nice Irishman named Fergus. It was, it was actually nice to hear that kind of accent and talk with him a little bit, getting ready for Mass. The Holy Sepulchre, as will be no surprise, is a very complicated place. It's not the usual sanctuary because it's, you know, a tomb. It's not, um, as you might, it's not what you might think of as meant to be a chapel. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea didn't plan it that way to be a chapel later on. He meant it to be a tomb. So logistics are really screwy in there, to put it practically. So the docent helps you with what to do. So he's telling us, uh, you know, process in over here, stand here, you go here at this point. It, Mostly the gist of it is, do what, you, do what you're told to do. Yes, yes, Father. Okay. So soon, sooner than I was even ready, the bell rings, we process in. So it's um, myself in the back as a celebrant, but then in the front of me is the docent leading, uh, a priest from another, from just a, a kind of a visiting priest, the priest from the other group, um, Father Irwin, and the deacon from the other group, who's going to be assisting deacon at the Mass. We all process in. Uh, we go to the front of the of the little chapel, edicule, we genuflect, um, go all the way in, and just me and the deacon go all, all the way in to the tomb, to the place where Jesus lay, or at least slightly above it, and venerate the altar, um, incense the altar, and then go back out to do the opening prayers, which is a really 
crazy way to enter the Holy Sepulchre for the first time. Um, you know, I'm trying to do mass properly, but also appreciate this holiest of holy places that I've ever been and will ever be. And you know, but do mass right at the same time and follow directions of the MC in this very strange space with the deacon that I'm not familiar with. All around, it worked out. Uh, so we go back out front, do the opening prayers of Mass, the choir chants, the glory, and all those sorts of things, because it's Easter Mass that we're doing, because we're in the place of the resurrection. Sit down in the chair, sort of a normal part happens, we, uh, you know, the readings happen, gospel happens, uh, the other priest preaches a very fire, not fire and brimstone, but a very energetic, charismatic kind of homily, which just was honestly, hilariously, uh, out of place in the Holy Sepulchre, but you know the joy of the Spirit got him, so that's what it is. Um, eventually, the MC, one of the one of the Franciscans, be given like a, a timeout, cut it off symbol because they had a very they have a very tight schedule of liturgies there, so um, long winded homilies are not welcome, as pious as they may be. So after a little chuckle at that, he he ended his homily uh, and continued on with mass. No prayers of the faithful because there's no time. Uh, profess the creed. The deacon goes in with the MC and begins sitting in the altar. Um, eventually, the MC summons me into not all the way to the very inside, but into kind of an interior room. Uh, if you're not familiar with, I don't know, who, why would you be? But in often in tombs, there's kind of an anterior room and then the tomb itself. So in this case, there's kind of an anteroom where I did the prayer over the offerings and the preface, which seemed odd to be kind of blessing the gifts, which are 10 feet behind me in the, in the uh, tomb itself, but whatever. So do that, go in, uh, do the consecration, obviously try and focus on the consecration, what I, what I was offering mass for, but also uh, soak in, wow, I'm in the Holy Sepulchre celebrating mass. Um, one of the most profound parts was when you say the you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, bless those who call to the supper of the Lamb, to holding the chalice in the host, duck down, it's a very low door, out of the Holy Sepulchre, out into the church, hold up the host and the chalice, say those words, hear the response of the people, and then go back in to consume and begin distributing communion. Um, of course, it's staggeringly beautiful, um, both spiritually and physically, um, impossible to appreciate in the moment i mean the mass itself is a miracle let alone saying mass in the place where the resurrection happened uh, the most important event of human history uh which i didn't know i was going to be doing until an hour beforehand so that was just the morning you know this uh via la rosa touching calvary having mass in the holy sepulcher uh and then just enjoying the beauty of the place uh, there afterwards um, I might talk more about it later, but I wanted to, to get down uh, just that experience uh, as part one of day seven. And then we're about to leave and talk about more stuff. So I'll have more to say about day seven later. Uh, thank you for listening. God bless. As usual, know of my prayers for you all, and please pray for us. Thanks. 